0: Let us all turn together to the Word of God this evening. We're reading from the second book of Samuel. And to begin with, it'll be a reading from Second Samuel chapter 4. We're going to read about... A man called Mephibosheth. We read about him uh, in a number of places, but here in particular, 2 Samuel chapter 4, and verse 1, running through to the fourth verse. And when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, his hands were feeble and all the Israelites were troubled and Saul's son had two men that were captains of bands. and the name of the one was Baana and the name of the other Rechab the sons of Ramon a Berozite of the children of Benjamin. But Beeroth also was reckoned to Benjamin, and the Beerothites fled to get to Gitalium, and were sojourners there until this day. Oh, this little excerpt comes in. And Jonathan, Saul's son. And a son that was lame off his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame his name was Mephibosheth. So there's that important piece of his history you see. Just a wee boy five years old you see. Then chapter 9 2 Samuel again chapter 9 David has recollections of the great love and deep friendship he and Jonathan shared they were like twin brothers they were so close and felt alike and so many things now that Jonathan's dead David has deep thoughts of heart chapter 9 verse 1 and David said Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he and the king said is there not yet any of the house of saul that i may show the kindness of god unto him and ziba said unto the king jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet and the king said unto him where is he and ziba said unto the king behold He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come on to David... He fell on his face, and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldst look upon such a, a dead dog as I am? We pray the Lord will bless the reading of his holy word, even for His name's sake. Amen.
1: I'd like to invite you to turn with me again to those portions of Scripture that were read together earlier 2 Samuel 4 and also 2 Samuel chapter 9. So keep your Bible open and you can keep a marker there in either one of those two portions. Let's pray together. And let's ask the Lord to really apply His Word to your hearts this evening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank Thee for this wonderful truth, this glorious reality that burdens are lifted at Calvary. We thank Thee, O God, tonight for a Savior that sympathizes with sinful men and women. We thank Thee, O God, that He is able to lift that burden that holds us back from walking with God. We pray tonight, Lord, that I will draw souls to the cross. Glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, grant the help of heaven just now, the infilling and the anointing of thy spirit. Lord God, we pray that there might be great work done in somebody's life tonight. Hear and answer prayer. Bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that he will see of the travail of his soul, and be satisfied, and that all things, Lord, tonight will redound to thine honour and to thy glory. Thou alone art worthy. Lord, fill the sanctuary with thy lovely presence, and grant, O God, that thy name might be exalted. We pray for the Saviour's sake, for God's glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. In the story of Mephibosheth, we have one of the most lovely illustrations of the gospel, I believe, in all of Old Testament story. The name Mephibosheth simply means destroying shame. And whenever Mephibosheth was just a a little boy of five years of age, just coming out of his infancy and into childhood years, his potential was destroyed. And for many years he lived in shame. We might say that Mephibosheth in life got off to a very difficult and a very bad start. But there came a day in his experience. Whenever he received a summons from the palace in Jerusalem, from King David himself. And while he came in fear and in trembling, whenever he responded to that great summons, his life was transformed and changed forever. And it really illustrates to us tonight in a very simple and yet in a very beautiful and personal way the reality that the grace of God in Jesus Christ is able to change lives forever. Maybe you're in the meeting tonight and you're not yet a Christian. You might have been brought up in a Christian home. You might have been born into a family of great privilege. You might have heard the gospel many, many times, but there's a coldness in your heart towards the things of God. You're not really walking with God at all, but oh, that tonight you would hear that royal summons and that you would come to the Savior's feet and enter into newness of life. Because the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And as we think tonight about the conversion of Mephibosheth, another great Old Testament conversion, I want you to notice first of all, very simply and very briefly, the family into which he was born. The family into which Mephibosheth was born. Just to give the background of Mephibosheth, he was the son of of Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were best friends whenever they were young men in their teens, in their early 20s. Jonathan and David were the best of friends. So Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. And that also meant that Mephibosheth was the grandson of King Saul, Israel's first king. So Mephibosheth was born into a family that was wealthy, that was prosperous, that was well-known. And Mephibosheth was born into a family of great privilege. And the reality was that Mephibosheth was in line to the throne in Israel. He was the grandson of the king. He was the son of the prince. Mephibosheth would normally have had a tremendous inheritance that one day he would receive. He was born with great potential. But the very last chapter of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 31 records King Saul's defeat at a place called Gilboa. And we read there at the end of 1 Samuel about Saul's defeat and Saul's subsequent death. And the reality may have been that a new king would arise, take the throne in Israel, and would begin to ask questions about the previous king and the previous king's children and grandchildren, and so on and so forth. And he would ultimately want to eradicate the children of the previous king and grandchildren as well to secure his throne in Israel. The truth of the matter was that Saul had despised David. Whenever David slew Goliath and the woman in Israel began to sing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands, Saul began to envy David from that day forward. And at last Saul set himself up to be an enemy of David, who was a man after God's own heart. And that was the very family that Mephibosheth was born into. David could so easily have looked at Mephibosheth's family and viewed them as being an enemy, a family that needs to be wiped out, a family that needs to be eradicated. And so young Mephibosheth, at the age of five, whenever his father and his grandfather perished, young Mephibosheth unknown to himself, was in a place of potentially great danger, simply because of the family into which he was born. Now we are all born into the family of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And that renders us as individuals separated from God. The Bible says that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are foolishness unto him. We are born into a state of spiritual ignorance and also a state of spiritual alienation. Because the scripture also says that the carnal mind, that is the natural mind or the unregenerate mind, the carnal mind is at enmity against God and is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The book of Colossians would teach us in Colossians 1 and verse number 21 that we are alienated from God, and in our very minds we are enemies of God. The Bible says that, naturally speaking, we are enemies of the cross, and we're not really in God's family at all. Modernism teaches that God is the universal father of all of humanity, and all of us are children of God. But the Bible begs to differ. The Bible makes it very clear that we are not naturally born into God's family. Rather, we are born outside of God's family. And in order for us to become members of God's family, we need to be born again of the Spirit of God. And we need to receive that spirit of adoption. And we need to be brought savingly into the family of God. And that can only happen through and because of the cross and because of God's grace. And if you're not a Christian tonight and you've never been saved and you've never been converted, let me say tonight on the authority of God's word, you're not in God's family. The Pharisees of Christ's day took it for granted that they were children of God. And the Son of God sought to rectify their thinking by saying to them in no uncertain terms, bluntly, unmistakably, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He went on to make other statements, if God were your father, you would love me. And He was making it very clear that in spite of all their religion, in spite of all their knowledge, in spite of all their their good thinking about themselves and their good intentions and their religiosity and self-righteousness, that they were still outside the family and fold of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Mephibosheth was born into a family that rendered him to be found in a place of tremendous danger. You see, outside of God's family, you are in a place of danger. The Bible says we are condemned already. We are under God's wrath. We are by nature the children of wrath, even as others, in danger of hell itself. I wonder, does does that ever cause you to think, I wonder, does that ever cause you a sleepless night to think that you're outside of God's family and you're bound for a lost eternity? A good number of years ago, I fell into the company of a man who uh, was very much into health and fitness, and every day he would come into the, the gym up there in cool Rain, and he would go on an exercise bike for about 45 minutes in his lunch break. He was a real fitness enthusiast. He held down two full-time jobs. And one day we were talking together, and his language was quite colorful. And in the course of the conversation, I told him that I was a Christian, and he began to apologize for some of the language that he'd been using. And as the conversation went on, he, he talked about his childhood, his teenage years. He had been brought up in a strongly evangelical Baptist church. He knew the gospel so well. And as we talked on, he talked about a car accident he'd been in that really shook him up as a teenager. He felt he was going to lose his life at that time, but God preserved him. And he says, the last time that God really challenged my heart was in a gospel mission in the church that I was in. He says, I know that night as a young man, late teens, early twenties, God spoke to my heart and I've never really been troubled or concerned about my soul ever since. And as we talked on, I asked him, well, what happens to you when you die? Where are you going? And he says, I know exactly where I'm going. He says, I'm going down. He says, I'll be in hell. Just as blunt as that. I don't think I've ever spoken to somebody that was as willing and as clear in acknowledging that he was lost. And then I said to him, does it not scare you, the thought of being in hell forever? And he paused and he put his head down. And it was evident he was thinking. And he lifted up his head and he says, yes, it does. But not enough to make me want to become a Christian. What an answer. Does it not scare you, the thought of going to hell? Yes, it does. But not enough to make me want to become a Christian. You know, I believe tonight that highlights the madness and the insanity of sin. And after a number of weeks and months, we got to know each other even better. And one day I had to give this man a lift to his car was getting serviced. And he just opened up in the car that day and talked about how miserable he was and how unhappy he was and how stressful he was and how lonely he was and how empty he was inside. But still not lonely enough, not empty enough, not despairing enough to make him want to become a Christian. People are miserable in this world and some of them know that they're lost. But it seems in their thinking, in their minds, that the worst possible thing to do would be to get saved and get converted and live for God and enter into newness of life. Men and women will live lives of misery, lives of sin, lives of hopelessness, darkness, despair, guilt, fear, loneliness, anything but get right with God and live to God's glory. That's what it is to be outside of God's family separated from God, lost and in danger of being in hell forever. And the human race tonight is estranged from God and an enemy to the king who reigns upon the throne, the family into which Mephibosheth was born. I want you to consider something else, and you'll get it back there in chapter 4 of Second Samuel. Not just the family into which he was born, but the fall by which he was broken. 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse number 4. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame on his feet. And then we discover and we learn how he became lame on his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. His nurse took him up and fled. She knows what the future might hold from Mephibosheth. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. This nurse that was looking after him lifted up the little boy, and we're not exactly sure how it happened or what the circumstances were. It might have been a very small fall. They might have fallen down a a flight of steps or stairs. We're not exactly sure, but we know that the results of the fall that Mephibosheth experienced were severe enough to render him lame upon his feet. And from that day forward, from a little boy of five years of age, Mephibosheth's life was to change dramatically in a moment of time. He lost his father, he lost his grandfather, he lost his home, he lost his ability to walk, He experienced this tremendous fall. His legs, his body became broken. (laughs) He became a cripple. A great fall by which he was broken. And again, I'm sure if you know the Word of God at all, you see where we're going with this thought. We have fallen. We are fallen people. And we are falling people. And the Word of God reminds us very clearly about the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden, whereby he fell out of fellowship with God. And the truth of the matter is that we, like Mephibosheth, have fallen as well. We are fallen creatures. We have fallen in Adam. And that fall has rendered us spiritually broken. And we are spiritual cripples. And we are spiritually lame. And we have become lame on our feet spiritually. And we are not walking in fellowship with God at all. That's where we are tonight as a nation. That's where the human race is. Fallen. Fallen in Adam. By one man, the Bible says, sin entered into the world. And death by sin. And death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And we have lost our potential. We have lost our inheritance. We have lost fellowship with God. We are no longer living in the purpose for which God intended us to live and for which we were created. And there is something wrong tonight with our world. We see it so clearly every single hour of every single day, every news headline, every news broadcast shows the reality of a world that is not walking in fellowship with God and not walking according to God's Word. The Bible puts so much emphasis on how we walk in this earth. The very first Psalm says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The Scripture says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Ephesians 2 says that even for the Christian, in times past they walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The Bible makes it clear that there's a right way to live in this world. And there's a wrong way to live in this world. There's a way that God asks us to walk. But there's a way that man walks according to his own heart. The scripture says there's a way that seemeth right to a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And man is all out of step with God. Even if man had the the will and the desire to walk with God, he still would not be able to walk in step with God. That's what sin is. It's always falling short of God's mark. It's walking outside of God's boundaries. It's walking contrary to God's law. And the truth of the matter is, man is walking in a different direction entirely. From the way of truth and righteousness laid out in Scripture according to God's Word, man's walk is all wrong. And it's because, like Mephibosheth, we're fallen. And we've become lame on our feet. And we no longer have the ability to walk with God, even if we had the desire. But like Mephibosheth, we're far off. We're in the wrong family, naturally. And we're walking the wrong way naturally as well. The family into which he was born. The fall by which he was broken. Notice also the futility into which he was brought. Look at chapter 9 of Second Samuel and verse number 4. The question is asked by the king, where is he? Where is this Mephibosheth? And a man called Ziba says, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel. Listen, in Lodibar. That's where Mephibosheth ended up. An obscure backwater town by the name of Lodibar. Now what does that name mean? It's a very interesting name. It literally or simply means no pasture. That's what Lodibar means. No pasture, no sustenance, no bread, nothing to satisfy, nothing to fill the life, the place of barrenness, the place of no pasture, and the place where Mephibosheth ended up lame on his feet was a place of absolute futility and absolute barrenness. It reminds us really of a life without God, a life outside of Jesus Christ, a life outside of the family and fold and kingdom of God is a place of barrenness, a place of emptiness, a place of destitution, A place where there is literally no pasture. Do you remember Joseph's brethren? Whenever they went to Shechem to feed their flocks. And then Jacob said to Joseph, go after your brethren. And Joseph went to Shechem. And whenever Joseph got to Shechem, there there was no sign of his brothers. And he met a stranger and he said there were were some young men here seeking to feed their flocks. I was told to come to Shechem. Do you know where they are now? And that man said they have gone to a place I last heard called Dothan. Dothan means two wells. They didn't find what they were looking for in Shechem. And they heard about a place even further away from the father's house, even further away from Joseph called Dothan, it was a place where there were two wells. And whenever Joseph arrived in Dothan, what did they do? They took Joseph and they threw him into one of those wells. And evidently the wells were empty there as well. And the further and the further that they got away from their father's house, the more barren, the more empty, the more futile life became. And it's like the hymn writer said, I tried the broken cisterns, but ah, the waters failed. And even as I stooped to drink, they fled, and they mocked me as I wheeled. And Mephibosheth finds himself in a barren place of futility, far from God, far from the king, far from a place where he could be satisfied and cared for and looked after. And isn't that just like this world that we live in? So often whenever you read the stories and the biographies of the, the people in the world that have made it big and they've got wealth, and fame, and success, and they've got everything that their hearts desire. It leaves them empty, and barren, and destitute. Ernest Hemingway was a famous writer. He lived a playboy lifestyle. He wrote books like For Whom the Bell Tolls, and The Old Man in the Sea, and sadly and tragically, he took his own life. And before he did that, he says, my life is like a radio tube whenever there is no battery or no current to plug into, what he meant by that was, I'm living in a vacuum. And it's so empty. And it is so barren. And it is so destitute. Marilyn Monroe, before she died, in strange circumstances, she said, the only people that stay with me are people that I pay to do so. Bodyguards. And people to look after my financial affairs, nobody seems to stay with me. And it can be said of so many others, Boris Becker, whenever he won Wimbledon, was I think the youngest man ever to win it. He says, I felt just after it like a puppet on a string. I had no real control of my own life. Whenever Chris Evans in the 1990s was the most popular DJ, radio DJ in Britain, he says, I got to the top of the ladder, and there was nothing there. Whenever Edmund Hillary had conquered Mount Everest, he was interviewed later on, and they asked him, what was it like to be the first man to stand upon the top of the world? He said, for about eight minutes, there was a sense of elation, a sense of achievement. And then I realized that I had to come down again, back to the world, back to my life. And that story can be replicated again and again and again. The 27 clubs, so many young men and women dying in tragic circumstances, some of them taking their own lives, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain and Mark Bolin and Amy Winehouse and many others. Discovered whenever they were just in their early twenties, that they had lived as much as they could in this world, they tried everything, and there was nothing left. Ludabar, the place of no pasture. Can I tell you tonight, beloved Jesus Christ is the bread of life? He is the only one that can satisfy that emptiness, that longing that's in your heart tonight. And whenever you give your life to Jesus Christ in all of its fullness and you come to Jesus Christ on His terms and you repent of your sin and you trust in Him as your Savior and you acknowledge His Lordship in your life and you go all the way with God, He will satisfy that longing in your heart. Didn't He say to the woman at the well, beautiful words, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, It'll never satisfy you. But whosoever shall drink of the water that I shall give him, it shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. God's servant David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And Mephibosheth could have been lying down in those green pastures as well. But sadly, tragically, he was in Lodabar, the place of no pasture at all, a barren, futile life, the family into which he was born, the fall by which he was broken, the futility into which he was brought. But there's something else that we can't help but notice in the, the, the story of Mephibosheth, the factors to which he was blind. There were things going on in Jerusalem and round about Jerusalem that Mephibosheth was absolutely ignorant of. He had no knowledge of them at all. Certain factors that he was blind to, that he was ignorant of, that were working out in his favor. And he wasn't aware of them at all. He was blind to them. Unknown to Mephibosheth, his life was about to change for the better. We often say, don't we? We do not know what a day may bring forth. Nobody knows what the future holds. And so often we say that in a negative context that if if the future is going to change, it must of necessity change for the worst. But things can change for the better. Let's be optimistic. And Mephibosheth's life is going to change for the better. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 1, this new king that Mephibosheth is so terribly afraid of is beginning to ask a few questions. And Mephibosheth knows nothing about David really, and he knows nothing about David's heart, and he knows nothing about David's thinking, and he knows nothing about David's plans. And he knows nothing about the question that that David is asking. And he asks this question, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, if Mephibosheth only knew that David was asking that question, it would change his thinking, it would change his heart and his life completely. But he's blind to it. He doesn't know that that question is being asked. But you know, when David is asking that question, it seems very evident that we're being introduced to a covenant, a covenant that David had made. Back there in 1 Samuel chapter 20, and verse number 14, David and Jonathan are talking together. And as they talk together, Jonathan says to David, 1 Samuel twenty fourteen, And thou shalt not only, while I yet live... Show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not. But thou also shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. Know not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, Let the Lord even require at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And David and Jonathan enter into a covenant together that if something happens to either one of them, that the remaining one will look after their children, their family, and their posterity. Verse 42 of that same chapter, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for as much as we have sworn, both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed, and thy seed forever. And the covenant's made. And David is now keeping his part of the covenant. And he's asking, Does Jonathan have any children that I might show them the kindness of God? And because God has made a covenant with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, You can enter into newness of life. God is a covenant. Keeping God. In the ministry of our Savior, he ever referred to the will of his Father, which is in heaven. He says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And what was that plan? What was that purpose? And what was that covenant that the Father and the Son had entered into? It was that the Son would go to a cross and shed his blood, and redeem a people unto himself, and they would become his inheritance, and be brought by Jesus' blood, and for Christ's sake into the family, and fooled of God. That's why the apostle Paul says that God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you a covenant that David had made, and then there is also, of course, a concern that David displayed. Verse number 3 of chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. The king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And a fellow by the name of Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is Liam on his feet. And this question that, that David is asking not only shows a covenant that he had made, but also a concern that he has. I'm concerned about Jonathan's posterity. And I'm glad tonight that there's a king in glory that reigns upon a throne. And he's concerned deeply about the souls of men. The Bible says when he beheld the city of Jerusalem, he was moved with compassion. They were fainted and scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He's concerned about the souls of men. He's concerned about people. And this man called Zeba is in the know. You know, there's always people that seem to be in the know. And this old man Zeba says to David, Well, Jonathan hath yet a son. There's one son, and he's lame on his feet. And the king says, where is he? And Ziba knows exactly where he is. He's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Ludabar. Ziba is in the know. A covenant David made. A concern David displayed. And then there's also a call in verse number 5 that David issued. Verse 4, he asks, where is he? And whenever Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord and ran away and hid themselves in the trees of the garden, do you remember the Lord came walking in the garden, the cool of the day, and he cried out and said, Adam, where art thou? And now David's asking another question. This man that needs to be redeemed and brought back, where is he? God said to Elijah, what doest thou here, Elijah? I wonder tonight, is God asking you a similar question? Where are you? What are you doing in the place that you find yourself in? And God's calling to your heart, challenging you about where you stand in relation to Him. You're maybe a backslider. You've maybe wandered far away. You once walked with God, but you're no longer walking with God. You're like Peter, you're following afar off. Where is He? Where are you tonight in relation to God? God in relation to the cross, in relation to the kingdom of God? What about prayer? What about witnessing? What about service? Maybe you're not all that far from the kingdom of God, but you've never really entered in. And the answer comes back, he's in Ludabar. He's in the place of no pastor. He's really an heir to the throne, but he's living in a far-off country. He should be in Jerusalem. But he's in the place of, of new no pastor. He's like an Old Testament prodigal. He has gone into a far country, and there's a famine in the land, and he's empty, and he's downcast, and he's destitute. You're maybe tonight in Lodabar, whenever you could really be sitting at the king's table. You're in a far-off country, whenever you ought to be in God's family. But you're crippled. And you find it so hard to make your way to God and you are maybe blind towards the great purposes that God has for sinners in the gospel. It says he's in the house of Macar and the, the name Macar, it means sold. He sold himself out. Paul says that the ungodly are sold under sin and maybe you're selling your soul for 30 pieces of silver and even less. But it's lovely that it says in verse number five, then King David sent. In other words, he says to his royal court, go to that place, find that man, and bring him right now to the palace. I want to speak to him. I want you to bring him to my feet. I've got words for him And the king sent and called for Mephibosheth to come. And this is the great royal summons. And in the gospel tonight, Jesus Christ the king invites you to come. More than that, externally he calls you to come. But maybe tonight you will not come because of fear. You see, as I look at the story of Mephibosheth, I see the family into which he was born, I see the fall by which he was broken. I see the futility into which he was brought. I see the factors to which he was blind. But we also see the fear by which he was burdened. He was afraid to come. Of course he was. Because we read in verse number 7 that whenever at last he came, David said unto him, Fear not. As Mephibosheth came, David could see that this young man is coming in fear and in trembling. And he's burdened by a sense of fear. He maybe fears my past has caught up with me. This king that is reigning now in Israel has found out about me and he's summoning me to the palace and it certainly can't be for good intentions And maybe Mephibosheth is filled with fear and the king demands respect and David falls down before the king and he's filled with a sense of fear for who David is, for his sovereignty, his authority and his position and he comes in fear and trembling. And maybe tonight one of our society's great problems is that we have lost the fear of God and we have lost the fear of the king Matthew ten twenty eight the Lord said, Fear not them which destroy the body, but rather fear him which hath power to destroy both body and soul in hell. Maybe you're afraid to come to Christ, and it's like the hymn writer said, Just as I am, though tossed about many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within, and fears without. O Lamb of God, I come. As he comes in verse number 8, he asks the king at the end of verse number 8, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? That's how he viewed himself, a dead dog, spiritually dead. And a dog speaks of defilement. And Mephibosheth is really taking his place now at the king's feet. I'm just a dead dog. I'm depraved. I'm defiled. I'm unclean. I'm not worthy even to be here. Now, many people do not like to admit what they really are. And they do not acknowledge their true condition before God. But Mephibosheth is acknowledging exactly what he is and exactly how he feels. I wonder tonight, is your pride stopping you from coming? It's maybe not so much fear, but it's pride. And you wouldn't dare to come before the Lord and acknowledge that you're spiritually dead and spiritually defiled and spiritually unclean. And you're a dead dog in the sight of Almighty God. Such language is offensive to you. You're self-righteous. You're morally upright. You're not held by the vices of this world. You're a good neighbor. You're a good family member. You're a good employee. You're a good person in the eyes of the world. There's no way that you're a dead dog in a spiritual sense. But that's how Mephibosheth views himself. And in spite of his fears, in spite of what he really is, he comes. Maybe your fear is tonight, well, what if I couldn't keep it? What if God won't receive me? What if I can't really live the Christian life? What if I fall and what if I fail? What if I don't pray as I should? What if I let the Lord down? What if I ruin my testimony? All of these fears and all of these questions that you have. Dear friends, tonight in part it's because of all of those things that you come to Christ. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. One last thought. The meeting's almost over. I want you to consider in closing the favor by which he was blessed. Look at verse number seven. What remarkable words. David said unto him, Fear not. I will surely, surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. It's all of grace. Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. Mephibosheth, look at me. Mephibosheth, listen. I have brought you here that I might bring you into my family. I have brought you here that I might show you kindness. I've brought you here to restore everything that you have lost and more. I've brought you here that you might sit at my table. Mephibosheth, you've responded. You've come, you're here, and I've got good news for you. And the word gospel simply means good news. Mephibosheth was about to receive a wonderful inheritance, something that he had lost something he thought he would never receive again. And because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in him the sons of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. And as Mephibosheth comes to the king's feet, he recognizes, I have got an inheritance. And the Christian, whenever they come to the cross, they recognize that there is laid up in heaven for me an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away. There is a place of fullness. David says, I'm going to show you kindness. And you can experience tonight in Christ the life of fullness. There is also feasting. You'll eat bread at my table continually. David said, You set before me a table in the presence of mine enemies. He's also bringing him not just to the place of fullness and feasting, but the place of fellowship. From now on, you'll sit at my table. Did not our Lord say, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me, fellowship. There are fields as well. I'll restore you lands. And the Lord promises that one day he will bring us into a great country, into the Father's house. And dear friends, it's forever he uses the word continually. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Remember the Shunammite. Remember what she said about Solomon the king. Whenever he came and whenever he called her, she said this. He brought me into the banqueting house. And his great banner over me is love. And Ross' cousin said, I am my beloveds. And my beloved is mine. He brings the poor, vile sinner into the house of wine. What a beautiful story. The story of Mephibosheth. That can be your story tonight if you will come. Come from Lodabar, the place of barrenness, the place of no pasture. Come to Christ. Come to Jerusalem. The word Jerusalem, it really means the foundation of peace. And whenever you come to Christ, the one who has made peace through the blood of his cross, you can have peace with God, justification. You can have the peace of God as you enter into newness of life. Are you walking with God tonight? Are you in God's family tonight? Or are you in a far country tonight? You've wandered, you've drifted, you're far from God. The King calls for you summons you, you might come in fear and trembling, but if you do come to the king's feet, you'll never regret it, for whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. May you come to Christ tonight and enter into newness of life. We're going to have a word of prayer together, please, and then a verse or two of that old hymn that we've mentioned already. Let's just pray very briefly. And just while you remain seated there in your pew, if God has spoken to your heart, and you've come into the meeting and you're not a believer, you're not walking with God, you're in a far-off place, you're not in God's family, you're empty, you're dissatisfied, you're a dead dog, so to speak, but you know God has spoken. Why don't you come just now? Call upon the Lord and be saved. The Bible says, Him that cometh to Christ, he will in no wise cast out. You come just as you are. Call upon the Lord and ask him to save you. Heavenly Father, thank thee, Lord, for this beautiful story. We pray, Lord, tonight for men and women in the meeting that are maybe not converted or not walking with God, others that are listening in now online from their their own home or from some other place. Lord, may the Holy Spirit strive in hearts, hear and answer prayer. Write thy word upon our souls, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.